why wouldn't you want to connect with people through your products? Because the other thing about connected packaging is that by having that direct interaction with the consumer, you're actually starting to understand more about them. So we now understand who buys and uses our products, which is a massive win, because this is only data that you've been able to buy from other people. And you can now have that direct consumer element. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Retail Remix. I had the chance to sit down with Cameron Worth, who's the CEO and founder of Sharpend, an IoT agency. And I know what you're thinking. It's been a while since we've heard about some really compelling IoT use cases and examples. But Cam and his team have done their fair share of work, helping brands develop everything from their IoT strategy to making that strategy a reality in stores and at home. He shares a lot of great perspectives, a lot of great use cases around what the possibilities really are, and most of all, how the tech may change or augment customer experiences once we begin to go back to stores or even continue to enrich our digital experiences as we see more consumers embracing e-commerce. We're in a bit of an uncertain time right now, but hearing Cam's viewpoints was really inspiring and hopefully you feel the same. Listen back and enjoy what Cam has to say. So Cameron, thanks so much for taking the time out to speak with me today. My pleasure. I'm trying to break my days up where possible. So I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're all in the same boat at at that point. But I think just based on what I know at a high level about your firm, the work that you guys are doing, I think this is going to be a very fascinating conversation. So why don't we start there? Why don't we kick off the conversation by you sharing a little bit about the work that you do with Sharpend and and more specifically, since we're speaking to a retail audience, the work that you've done with retailers, CPG brands, just so we can get a feel for the context as far as your expertise goes. Sure. I started Sharpend around about five and a half years ago now. When we launched, it was the world's first Internet of Things agency. And we launched with a a pretty single-minded focus, which is how do you build brands in a connected world? So that's really the question that we've tried to answer for the last five and a half years and getting ever closer. I think the mission for the business is to move brands closer than ever to their consumers by connecting the real world. So we look at the real world as a connected platform. And that's sort of step one. I think the relationship between new platforms and specialist agencies is, is a fairly well-trodden path. So if you look at digital specialist digital agencies, the razor fishes and, and the like of the world, Web 2.0 brought our social media. So all of these new platforms kind of changing the way that brands look at digital because it's now not just outbound communication, it's now conversation. And brands really had to think about what is my role in this new world where people can talk back. And then we think about Web 3.0 as the kind of real world. So digital, social, mobile, and now the real world, these are all platforms that required specialist agencies. And I think from a from an Internet of Things perspective, I think the world doesn't need any more technology partners. It needs a a kind of full service solution, which looks at the world as a a kind of a creative challenge and not a technical one. So that's really where we started from. And, And we haven't really changed at all in the last five and a half years in terms of our mission. It's just that I think the mission's becoming more and more relevant to brands. And I think that to be able to look at kind of a brand's real world assets, i.e. the products they make and sell, 
the spaces in which their brands are experienced, whether it's bars, stores, events, stadiums. We look at all of those different environments and, and, and touch points as a, as a way to build brands in, in new and interesting ways that aren't necessarily focused on just communicating outwards. It's, it's kind of more about what can we put into the real world that allows people to pull the content or the service or the experience that they want at that time in the way that they want it. And like I said, that's a creative consideration and not so much a technical one because all of the technologies do exist. Um, so hopefully that wasn't too much of a long introduction to the business. No, that's fascinating. So it seems like it's not just about the tech as you indicated, but the context in which consumers experience the content, which I hope we can get into because I know as far as our coverage on retail touch points, we've been covering Internet of Things for a while. I think a lot of it is more through the lens of operations. So improving efficiency, um, you know, smart devices, smart thermometers, for example, for food safety. But I've always felt like there was always big potential for experience or customer engagement but it never quite reached that momentum or that potential. I I would love your take since you're kind of living and breathing this every day. You're having those brand conversations. I mean, where are we at right now as far as brands' ability or eagerness to embrace that idea of connecting with consumers in context of their world rather than like, let's just implement this point solution? Yes, I think... There's kind of two approaches that are, I guess, standard in in the IoT space, and I don't agree with either of them. The first one is this kind of horizontal approach, which is, oh, the Internet of Things is everything to everyone at every stage. And then the other one is, I have a point solution, and this should become a part of your media mix or your toolkit, for example. And actually, we've got traction with the brands that we work with, I think, because we're quite honest and we're quite pointed in terms of where we think the opportunities are, rightly or wrongly. But I think it's our requirement of Sharpen to have a strong point of view because we're not just building an agency and a platform. We're also creating an industry within a very well-established space of advertising and marketing. So we need to have that strong point of view. And the way that we talk about it is we think about the the way that you build brands in a connected world is through technology-enabled service and experience design, which is a bit of a mouthful. But when you sort of break that down, we're kind of moving away from a sort of a messaging-based approach from brands, which is, here's my ad, here's my story. I'm going to give it to you in the same formats that you're used to, because there's been such a fragmentation of the media landscape that it's quite difficult to have that single story or that single purpose across all of those different touch points. So what we've instead looked at is we've said, okay, well, Is it about sort of telling the brand story on these new devices, Alexa, through connected packaging, digital signage, all of these new things that are sort of coming to fruition? Because we don't think it is. We actually think that what's happening with with regards to the, the connected consumer, as we call it, is that they want short, sharp interactions with the brands. They want to be able to get the service that they need in the moment. And then it's your job as a brand to then figure out, well, what are those pain points or what are those need states? How do we design solutions around those? And then how do we enable those through technologies where appropriate? And I think where appropriate is a really, really important part, as opposed to going, what can I do with web AR? Or how do I use NFC? Or what's the role of beacons in my store experience? These aren't good starting points for any kind of engagement with the IoT space, in our opinion. What we think about is, okay, well, how do we identify need states and pain points? And if you look at it, from a sort of, I don't know, a diagram level, should we call it? Yeah, you've got kind of media and advertising, 
which has always been about driving awareness. And it's been trying to get people in store. They've hoped that the consumer has bought the product or the potential consumer has bought the product. And then it's been the job to then re-advertise these people and hope that they buy it again. So what we've done is we've kind of focused in on two areas for the Internet of Things that we think have the most significant impact opportunity for brands. And the first one is in-store experience. So how do I engage and convert shoppers at point of sale? That's the kind of the headline objective. And the most scalable, I think, and the most interesting one is how do you build brands post-purchase, which I think is a totally new way to be talking about the IoT space in the context of consumer engagement. And when we talk about how do you build brands post-purchase, if I'm just to reference a a client without sort of sounding like I'm name dropping, but if we look at Unilever, for example, and Unilever spending loads and loads of money on driving people in store, it's then the job of Sharpen to then think about, well, what's the potential in-store experience that drives conversion in terms of people actually buying those products? And then if you're Unilever who make and sell billions of products, every single one of those products can be connected through some means, right? So QR codes, barcode recognition, AR, NFC, et cetera, going back to the point about not looking at the enabling technology. But if I am a consumer product manufacturer and I've engaged with the person at point of sale, I've given them some form of an experience and we can start talking about case studies if you like, but then I've got the product in the consumer's hand and that person can then interact with that product and have a direct kind of touch point with the brand that then allows them to pull in services focused on Sorry for the next mouthful, but the creative starting point for connected packaging, as we see it, is how do you heighten the enjoyment in the context of use? Because the person who has the product that has a connected packaging touch point, they are no more than five centimeters from that product at that point. And they are either therefore thinking about using the product or actively using the product. And that's a totally different starting point than perhaps saying, What is our brand truth? What is the message that we're trying to deliver to consumers? Because that job's been done. This person's gone in store, they've bought the product, they've got the product. It's like, well, what is the next need state of that consumer and how do you meet that as a brand? So they're they're really the two main areas that we focus on, which is the retail innovation in-store experience and the connected packaging consumer engagement piece post-purchase. I love that you kind of broke that down into two key use cases because I do think that especially through the lens of new tech, you know, technologies in store, especially a lot of conversations are laser focused on, okay, well, what can we do to just get that conversion or get that transaction? Because a lot of the times people are just trying to boost that performance in store. So I really like that emphasis on post-purchase because I'm a firm believer that it isn't a purchase funnel. It's more of like a loop. So I'd love to dig into possible examples or maybe, you know, we use one brand as an example showing the transition from that in-store engagement and how that essentially extends or transitions into post-purchase. I think having that example will help kind of paint the picture a little clearer for our audience. Yeah, for sure. Just going through the list of NDAs in my head. I'm just wondering what's publicly available. <laughs> Take your time. That's serious business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The outcome of a good podcast is not a lawsuit. So I'm just trying to be a little bit careful here. If we take the work that we've done with Bow and Wines, which is a fairly recent case study, and it's North American, so they're a Californian-based winemaker, we rolled out over 1 million NFC-enabled wine bottles as a part of their launch for three of their products. So it's a Pinot Noir and a Chardonnay and one other uh, vintage. 
But they, they started with, and this is an interesting case study. The reason I, I paused for a second was because we actually use connected packaging in-store and post-purchase. So the same product doing a different thing at different stages of the customer journey. So when you went in-store, so NFC technology, if it needs a, a short introduction, is a contactless technology, which is used very regularly for payments, access control, etc. And it's a tap technology. So anything to do with like Apple Pay or Google Wallet, this is all using NFC on the device. And what we did is we've kind of got very, very good and got very well known for being probably the pioneer in the NFC space for consumer engagement. A lot of the world's largest rollouts of NFC are, are kind of using the Sharpen platform and, and using our agency services as well. Anything from Malibu's connected bottles to, um, yeah, to Bowen Wines. We recently took quite a significant investment from Guala Closures, who's the world leading producer of closures for the wines and spirits market. And Bowen Wines is an interesting case study because when you went in store at any retailer across the US, you were able to engage with the product at point of sale where there was supporting shelf talkers, which was you know, explore the farm to glass story. So when you tapped the uh, tap the cap, as it was called, because the NFC was located on the closure, totally appless technology, again, just to emphasize, you were brought to a digital experience, which explained to you all of the information about the production process. Where did the grapes come from? What does triappellation mean? A bit about Joe Wagner, the winemaker. And you were then motivated to buy the product to then be able to get a post-purchase experience. And the way that that worked was you took the product home. And when you engage with the product for the second time, because our platform's monitoring how many times the same device is engaging with the uh, product and, and the location of the engagement, we were taking them through to the interactive farmhouse. So the interactive farmhouse was very much focused on the heightening the enjoyment in the context of use. And there was all the different features that you would you would hope for. So one is about food and, and so meat and cheese pairings for the different wines, so different meats and cheeses based on the different types of wine that you're engaging with. I had a virtual wine cellar to be able to tell you more about the product that you're tasting. And you could also keep a record of the other wines in your portfolio that you'd interacted with. We also had very localized recommendations of places that you might be able to go to enjoy your wine which seems like a lifetime ago now that none of us can leave our houses. Uh, and then there was also more information about the brand. It's part of a bigger portfolio called Copper Cane. So it was sort of giving you some more information about you might also like these wines from our portfolio as well. So there was a bit of link selling. There were signups to ECRM. And you were able to also start to create this sort of community platform. So you could upload your own food recommendations. You could upload your own content around places that you've gone and drunk bow and wines with your friends, etc. So really what we're trying to do is, is sort of look at the product as an always on media platform that can play different roles at different stages of the consumer journey. And then from an engagement perspective, you know, we've seen very, very high engagement rates. We know that the average person engages with the same bottle two and a half times. We know they spend over a minute on the digital platform each time they visit so then it's about using those insights to then inform well what do you do next what happens when this same person taps another bottle or maybe taps a different product in our portfolio so you can start to see here where the connected packaging opportunity when you incorporate it as a kind of a known part of your digital media strategy it totally changes the way that you can engage on a one-to-one -one basis with consumers that's not to say that you should be having one-to-one -one conversations with every single consumer because quite frankly, that's that's overkill. But to be able to have things that are slightly in the moment, quite responsive to the need state that you're currently in, then it really starts to show that connected packaging plays a totally, totally different role than kind of traditional media and marketing tactics. Because again, going back to that push versus pull scenario, 
we're not pushing content on anyone. We're simply saying, if you engage with this product using your phone, then you're going to be able to get loads of stuff that kind of hopefully gives you a better experience of the brand and the product. And I don't think anyone misses out in that uh, with that sort of a dynamic. I love that use case because I feel like wine is one of those things where you either have people who love it, are super passionate about it, enjoy it, always feel like they could be learning more about the wines they drink, the brands that they want to discover or, you know, share with their friends and family. Or there are the ones that don't know anything about it, you know, may, may need to pick up, you know, a bottle of wine on their way to a dinner or to a restaurant. So I think that approach allows you to kind of serve both and they can basically tailor their journey depending on their needs. And content is the center of that, which I I find to be fascinating. And I think, again, going back to the category, it just serves so well and it just makes total sense. But I could see this rendering so well, even for CPG brands. So I'm thinking of like body washes, face washes, because more and more consumers are looking for that added transparency, whether it's how to use the product so they can get the best value of that money they're spending, but also even ingredients that are in the product. You know, they want to dig deeper into how products are made. You know, is this sustainable? Is this quote unquote green? Is this ethical? I mean, there are so many possibilities now for other categories that this approach seems to just empower brands to make that connection. So I feel like, you know, the possibilities are very clear. Exactly. I, I guess the the other point is I've never really had a conversation with any brand where they've said, this doesn't sound like a good idea. Right? Why wouldn't you want to connect with people through your products? Because the other thing about connected packaging is that by having that direct interaction with the consumer, you're actually starting to understand more about them. So we now understand who buys and uses our products, which is a massive win, because this is only data that you've been able to buy from other people. And you can now have that direct consumer element. Just in terms of more of an aggregate level insight, and going back to that mindset of um, this is an incredibly psychologically bought in consumer, because they've not only bought the product, but they've also taken out the phone, they've made an action on the product, and they're in, right? So it's not that mental to think that they might be more willing to perhaps provide their brand, their email address with opt-in. And we see engagement rates in terms of conversion averaging about between 30 and 45%, which is insanely high. And I get that. And I had to run the stats on the platform multiple times before I was confident enough to, to suggest it. But the idea that, again, when you think about it, well, it doesn't actually sound that weird that a minimum of 30% of my consumers who engage with my products give me their data because these are a different type of consumer. They are totally bought in and they're not just responding to an ad on Instagram. They're actually reaching out to you for a service or an experience or, or kind of whatever you want to call it. So there's a huge sort of data aspect to this as well, which is how do you start owning the, the customer relationship? And I think that I mean, it was definitely becoming more important for the brands that we've been working with. But I think now now more than ever, it's really important that brands are starting to create and own their entire, well, not their entire, but their customer relationship where possible. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And we'll kind of get into the current state of things and how this may impact adoption of this IoT-enabled experience. But before we do, I do want to dig into measurement of success and what that looks like, because you made reference to engagement KPIs. And now more than ever, I, I feel like if there's going to be an investment in some sort of you know new tech or new strategy, 
there is going to be an emphasis on, on what's the possible ROI, how are we going to be measuring success, and just doing our due diligence to make sure that this investment is worthwhile for our business. So I'm sure there are varying metrics depending on which bucket you're looking at. So the engagement or, or post-purchase empowerment, so to speak, and, and relationship building. But what are the key ones that, that really rise to the top that, that you think are essential, I guess, to success? So this is quite a standard, well, an easy question for me to answer because we have quite a standard set of KPIs. I won't populate them with values, but ultimately we try and break it out into hard and soft KPIs because ultimately when you're working on these innovation projects, you need to be sensitive to the fact that this isn't just running a new type of banner ad online. This is a totally new initiative for the business. And there's not just about the numbers, but it's also about, well, how does the business feel? Are you energized about these kind of innovations? Do you think that it moves your brand forward, your thinking forward? Does it keep your employees engaged and stuff? So we try to be a little bit human about why are we doing this? Obviously, there's business drivers, but then I also think that you need to be rewarding of brands who are confident and brave enough in themselves and in, in their partners like Sharpen to, to kind of be aware of that. So when we talk about things like soft KPIs, we talk about, and this isn't about, you know, did I cry when I launched the campaign and high five my dad? It's, it's more about like, do I feel that this innovation sits comfortably as part of a 360 campaign? Or do I feel that this innovation has enriched my approach to campaign planning? They're kind of the softer KPIs, still business focused, but a little bit more yeah, sorry, soft. <laughs> I'm running out of words on the on the vocabulary. And then in terms of the hard KPIs, we always look at setting a percentage of how many of the products are engaged with. So if it's NFC, X percent of products are tapped. We see around 10% just as a, a general insight of NFC products that are launched to market being engaged with by consumers. We see about 15% of products that are carrying QR codes being engaged with by consumers. This varies wildly between sector and market, etc. So the first one is how many of the products are being engaged with? And the second one is more of about driving better creativity, which is X percent of those products are engaged with twice or more. So that forces us to think creatively about how do we get people keep coming back rather than just using this as a one-off kind of promotion trick. And then the third hard KPI is how many new consumer profiles have we brought across onto our ECRM? So in terms of just summarizing those, so soft KPIs did it sit comfortably as part of a 360 campaign or did it enrich my approach to campaign planning and then the hard kpis are x percent of engagements with products the second one is y percent of engagements happening twice or more and then the third hard kpi is is z uh, new consumer profiles onto our ecrm Got it. That's great. That's actually very helpful. And, you know, just based on that context, going through the use cases, I mean, I think you made reference to that, that you haven't had any conversation where people would say, oh, this is not a good idea. Like, obviously, it's a powerful use case. There's a lot of opportunity. But I know in retail, especially, there's sometimes a tug of war internally, whether it be between the people actually doing the work versus executive leadership or, you know, different members of leadership trying to dictate, you know, what investments do we make? I mean, what are the common forces, if any, that may prevent brands 
from taking the leap into IoT-enabled experiences? Is it that, you know, we need to stand up the experience and we don't have the time or resources to do that right now? Because, again, I'm just kind of going back to these use cases. I'm like, wow, there's so much potential here. So I'm almost surprised that we're not hearing people shout these success stories or these use cases from, from the rooftops just yet. So, I mean, what's what's kind of holding the industry back right now? I think there's there's probably two things. And the first one would be tech suppliers trying to now speak like brand experts to marketeers, which tends to go terribly. And then I guess the other one is is kind of agencies being too opportunistic in terms of like overcharging because they see it as a new shiny object and sort of taking advantage of brands. Uh, I think those are the two things that I've observed from my side of the equation. And you have to understand that Sharpen was the first internet of things agency. So we have such a commitment to ourselves, but also in trying to build out the sector and trying to support the ecosystem and trying to normalize it with brands and trying to celebrate good case studies and trying to make sure that the world isn't just littered with kind of IoT stunts. And there's only so much of that that we can handle, right? We're a 25-person agency based between London and New York, so we can't really have a global influence on the big guys doing kind of ridiculous stuff that kind of just makes the IoT space appear to be a little bit novel. If you understand where I'm coming from, you've probably seen a lot of the case studies where it's just about tech rather than about consumer or creative. But the... uh, I was waiting for validation there, but it didn't come to Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know where, where you were going with that. But yeah, I, I agree. And it actually led me to my follow-up point for you around the importance of strategy, because it seems like that's based on like the little sound bites and responses that you've shared thus far, not just tech for tech's sake, the need to build around the consumer. There is a very strong strategic component of this. Am I right? Like yeah. when you're having these conversations that you kind of need to build a strong foundation there in order for one, for the brand to say, yes, this is definitely a fit for us. And two, like, let's ensure that we roll this out successfully. So there's two aspects to that. The first one is that the IoT space is not just about connected packaging. The space is so broad. You know, For example, we've done interactive connected beer taps that use computer vision to unlock the right beer tap when you show a different flavor of potato chip to it in store. Or we've done digital signage that wakes up when you pick up a bottle from the shelf and then you use it as a remote control, guiding it through an experience on a tablet that's mounted to the shelf. We've gone as far as producing interactive vessels that when you twist the base, it broadcasts your location to a bar in Ibiza and it brings you the the drink straight to you on the dance floor, looking at kind of on-demand ordering and trying to remove queuing from, from bars. So there's a kind of a whole broad spectrum of IoT stuff. And then you've also got the at-home piece. So we've built... For an infant formula brand, we built a dosage measurement device that you could upload information about your kid on your phone. And then you were given a special scale that only works with that infant formula. And then it gives you accurate dosing information. Then it takes you on the journey with your kid. So there's all these kind of weird and wonderful opportunities. And and the first thing that you do is you start by mapping out the opportunity areas. So you work with a brand. I mean, just to roll off the kind of brands who we work with. LVMH, Estee Lauder, Nestle, PepsiCo, Unilever, AB InBev. We work with the Pernarica family of brands, Bowen. You know, so, so, so there's a huge amount of insight that we get working with all these different types of brands. But across fashion, FMCG, cosmetics and drinks, they tend to have the same set of problems, right? Which is 
How do I learn more about who buys and uses my products? How do I engage better at point of sale? How do I expand the ecosystem of my brand touch points? So generally, we're kind of looking in the same direction. Obviously, the creative expressions are, are very different depending on the brand that you're working with. You know, LVMH and luxury, AB and Bev selling you know, billions and jillions of beers a day, for example. So what we do, first of all, is we always do like a framing exercise, which is not creative and it's not strategic. It's kind of like creative strategy, as we call it, because the insight guides the idea almost immediately. So we start mapping out what we call opportunity areas. And these are kind of the the bets that we would place if we were the stakeholder. And, and we're kind of as brazen as to introduce it like that, because we're very much trusted across the industry as kind of having a good nose for this stuff. So that's the first thing. The, the next thing that we always do as quickly as possible is go straight into prototyping. So rather than staying in the realm of the possible PowerPoint decks, workshops, sketches, wireframes, solution design, industrial design, what we instead do is we say, okay, well, these are the opportunity areas, get the brand to buy into them, go straight into prototyping. Don't focus on the idea, focus on the interaction. So if we're talking about connected packaging, hey, Brand X, we think that connected packaging is really interesting because you make a billion products a year and wouldn't it be great if you can speak directly from them? Suddenly, we then produce a suite of prototypes. One's got NFC, one's got QR, one's got augmented reality. We think about something that's semi-believable in the terms of the creative context of the brand. So if it's a drinks brand, it might be cocktails or linking through to bartenders or driving people into nightlife. So it's not necessarily trying to solve the idea as opposed to the interaction, because the best thing that happens when the real world is a connected platform is it gives you the opportunity to get into the real world as quickly as possible, i.e. prototyping. So we don't charge loads of money up front, spend loads of months talking about, is this the idea? Is that the idea? Does it look like this? Does it feel like that? We just go and give the brand a bunch of lo-fi proof of concepts and say, these are the types of things we think you could be doing, um, not just around connected packaging, also retail innovation. So mocking up a little iPad in their office that shows them the type of experience you can have in store with digital signage. So what that does is that really kind of helps to inspire and kind of energize the business around well, what's the opportunity. I, I trust Sharpen because they're not charging me shitloads of money and taking ages and not delivering any products. Like the first thing they kind of get from us is a set of products that they can play around with and say, I love that really think this could work for my consumers. I want to be able to trial it here. And suddenly you've then kind of accelerated your path to pilot. What then happens is you've also got the opportunity to then start going, okay, well, th that's not the right idea, but I might want to do this instead. So suddenly you're then bringing the brand on the journey too. And I think that's really the kind of the magic of, of what's happening within this kind of space of new technologies and technology innovation, which is we're not just going into a room and coming out with the solution we're kind of designing it in collaboration with the brand. And I think that our, our point of view is that the idea is the easiest part of the creative process when it comes to technology innovation. And the brand normally has the answer before you do. So it's really just about making sure that we're looking for what can go wrong at any stage of the process. Because as you said, there's a lot of potential breakpoints, long lead times with production, the stores don't want to trial it. There's a problem with the electronics. You haven't aligned with legal. The operations guy didn't know you were working on this and was working on something similar. So what we've got is all of these years of experience and being able to bring that to each project that we're working on. But ultimately, the core fundamentals are quick creative strategy to map out the opportunity areas, prototyping as quickly as possible, manage the pilots almost as a full service partner. So doing the creative and the content and the insights, and then really working with them to scale up and, and kind of having the the confidence in your proposition to not just try and take everything um, and say, no, we're doing that, we're doing that, this one doesn't work. 
you know, we work with packaging design agencies, we work with retail agencies, we work with consulting partners, we work with the internal brand teams, we work with their markets. So our, our job is to really just, and it kind of goes back to that commitment to the industry as much as to the business, where we're trying to create something special here. And not just for us, but also from all the other people who stand to benefit. And I think that's sorry, sort of went on a bit of a tangent, but, but ultimately creative strategy is point one, prototyping is point two, small test and learn is point three, and then working with the business to scale up as, as point four. And then, then, you, then you're on a, a path to success generally. Well, you essentially just provided a framework, I think, for everyone listening that that is wondering, you know, what does this even look like and how can we make this a reality, which I, I really appreciate. But I feel like we, we're kind of going down a rabbit hole, Kim, and we, we can talk for hours about this topic because it's just so fascinating. And I'm a content person and I cover tech and experience. So I personally am very passionate about it. But I think to close off our conversation for now, and hopefully we can have you back on the show and dig a little bit deeper. You know, we are navigating some new realities. You made reference to working from home. I'm doing everything from home right now. I know we, we all are, right? But that leads me to the reality of, you know, non-essential retailers being closed. Of course, you know, essential ones, there's still opportunity and cases where people are engaging with brands. And if it's not in stores, it's through digital. So I guess my question now is, you know, looking at this category of innovation, what does the short and long-term view of adoption and engagement look like? I mean, and again, looking at this through the lens of like, non-essential brands, you know, going back to cosmetics, you know, which, which you mentioned in your previous answer. And if people are largely making these purchases online, I mean, what's the engagement potential? What does this future of adoption look like? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can't give me a hard and, and fast answer right now, but I know that we're all kind of trying to figure out what does the future of customer experience look like now because you know stores will be opening gradually but also consumer behaviors may be shifting more than we can really gauge right now but i mean what what are you kind of keeping tabs on as you prepare to guide brands you know through the next year or two even there's probably two two answers that i can give and these are based on experience versus hypothesis because i think the time for people to have an immediate reaction or the time for people to have a strong opinion on what what the future holds it's not now we need to be very um obviously i'm not not getting up on a pedestal here but we need to be very sensitive to the current climate of you know, new pandemic people dying people losing family members frontline workers and stuff and i just don't think it's i've never it's never sat well with me when people have done thought leadership pieces around what covid means to brand loyalty and all this kind of weird stuff so what what i can say is Recovery strategy, we're engaged on four programs focused on retail right now. And ultimately, what we've kind of come to across all of those projects is step one is trying to get people out of the house again. Step two is trying to get them to go into your locations. And I think the trick to achieving step two is to put a greater focus on experiential in store, because ultimately people have been starved of creativity right now. They were kind of in a bit of a vacuum. And I think that as brands, we have a a commitment to being able to try and sort of kickstart creative thinking again and giving people better experiences in store just to try and reward people for staying indoors for so long. And I think there's obviously a kind of an obvious truth there, which is if I provide a better experience for people to, if I, if I go out of my house and I say, I'm now out of lockdown, I want to go and buy some cosmetics. 
I'm probably going to choose the brand that gives me a bit more of an experience because I have been starved of it for so long, right? So there, there's the kind of the retail in-store experience aspect. The second part of it, which I think is a very sensitive way of approaching the topic, because ultimately the brands that we work with who are doing connected packaging and have connected packaging in market are benefiting from having interactions with consumers in the home. Because regardless of what happens outside of the house, people have still got brands products in their homes, right? So rather than taking a point of view of saying, well, if you'd have done this, then you could have done that. What we instead are now working on with a lot of brands, and we're actually subsidizing quite a few of the prototypes as again, as part of this commitment to kind of restarting everything is we've been producing prototypes, showing people what kind of at-home experiences they could be delivering as a brand without kind of having our stick and beating the brand where they're going, you should have done this earlier because you could be doing this right now. It's more about the home may become a really important platform for us to have new engagements with consumers. And these are the kind of things we could be doing, which kind of also at the same time, without being explicit, helps us to plan for an environment or a situation where this thing might happen again, because now there's precedent, if you see what I mean. So that's the kind of the two things that we're doing. So first one is working with brands on their recovery strategies, placing a greater focus on the in-store experience as a reason for people to leave their houses. And a second one is helping brands to understand that, that the, the home might be a new engagement kind of environment for them and using packaging as a way to deliver services and experiences based on the understanding that this situation might happen again. And we'll be able to have a new touch point that we'll be able to leverage at that point when all of, well, most of the other touch points have become less important because people aren't leaving their houses. So hopefully that wasn't too kind of theoretical. No, no. And I think that's great, Cam. I I really appreciate your viewpoint now that a lot of uncertainties still exist. There's a lot more, there are a lot more important things happening, but to know that you have a framework set for guiding your your clients um, through that go forward strategy, whenever that should be implemented is very insightful. So thank you for going through that with me. And, and thanks again so much for taking the time out. I feel like we covered so much ground. Again, I feel like the use case here is so exciting. I loved hearing more about your strategy, how you approach these projects. So thank you for being so transparent for sharing such great details. This was really a fun conversation. I'm glad and thanks for having me and uh, wish you guys the best and hopefully the situation calms down pretty soon. Yeah, you as well. Please stay safe and well. And uh, everyone out there listening as well, thanks so much for taking the time out to join us today. And you all stay uh, safe out there. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.